Well, good evening. So glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for braving the rain and making it out tonight. Uh, so glad you're here. This class is sponsored by Fight for Your Family, and Fight for Your Family is a ministry that, that Bellevue runs. It's to resource marriage and parenting. And so we do multiple different venues and, and resources uh, to help both in how we raise our kids, but also how we stay connected as couples. So um, anytime you see Fight for Your Family, know that that's something that it's born from Bellevue, and it's something we use to uh, resource you guys. So, so glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Now, right now, this spring, we're in a series called We Have a Plan. And the concept is that we as parents are going to develop a plan for how we're going to parent our kids in a Christian home. So what we've done is we've kind of walked through what are several aspects of parenting in which a plan could be useful. So we've already talked about why planning is important for a family. Talked about discipleship, why, that, why that's important, what plan we can have for discipleship. Last week was time together. How do we invest and carve out and create time as, to get, as a family now that'll, that'll last forever? And so we're so thankful for that. And tonight we're talking about having a plan for living on mission and just why that's so important. So that's tonight's topic. So you're here and we're here. Let me invite the Lord in through prayer and we'll start. Father, we thank you, thank you so much for who you are and we praise your name and we invite you in. And I thank you for each parent who's here tonight. And I thank you that you have blessed them with children because your word says that children are a gift from the Lord. And so we know, God, from Deuteronomy 6, that it's your design that we be the primary disciple makers in our kids' lives. So what I pray that tonight, that you'd guide us as we talk about having a mission for our family. Um, Lord, you're a missional God, and you had a mission when you sent your son to this earth. And so, God, I pray that you would just welcome us into and, and, and equip us with the idea that we can be missional as parents. So bless us tonight, Lord, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's just start out. I want to hear from you just for a minute. When you hear the word mission, all right, when you hear me say the word mission, let's talk for a second out loud. What types of things come to mind when you hear the word <coughs> mission? What do you think about? A goal. A goal. Okay. Well, mission means I'm going to have a goal. Good. Thanks, Monica. What else? <coughs> Adventure. All right, good. We're going on an adventure. Man, we're going to do something, and this is going to be adventurous. Thank you, Sierra. Yes, sir. Do you have one? Um, a trip. A trip. All right, going on a mission, going on a trip. Yeah, like a mission trip, right? I like that. Good deal. When you think about the word mission, what comes to mind? When you hear the word mission, what first do you think about? Okay, the battle plan. Yeah, what's my battle plan? Yeah, we've got to execute something, right? So what are we going to execute? Focus, okay, yep. I've got a mission, and because I've got a mission, I am, boom, I'm right on it. Purpose, good, I like it. I like it, yep, we've got a purpose, focus, i got a battle plan. It's going to be adventurous, it's going to be a trip. One more? i got space for one more. When you think about the word mission, what do you think about? Obligation. Obligation. Man, I like that. I like that, Kermit. Yep. I've set out on a mission, and I am obligated to keep it going, right? Yeah, I like that a whole lot. Um, 
uh, on your paper, if you're a note taker, uh, I'm just going to give a short definition that, that I came up with. It's no better than all of these. These are great ones. But this says this. Your mission says this is what we're doing. Okay, mission, this is what we're doing. Um, we've set a goal. This is our adventure. We're on a mission trip. This is our battle plan. We are focused on this. That's our purpose, obligation. This is what we plan to do. Okay, we've got a mission, and that's my plan. I'm sticking with it, right? Now, let me ask this question. Let's say that uh, you and I are walking the hall. We see each other Sunday morning. We reconnect Sunday morning. We're walking, and I stop you, and there's a family walking by, and I say, that family right there is a family that lives on mission. I said that to you. What do you think would be some things that would be true of that family that I pointed out to you that says they live on mission? Well, if, if, you, if I'm describing a family that lives on mission, what, would be, what do you think would be some things that would be true of them? Okay, Megan, they're intentional. All right, they're in, you'd immediately have thought, that must be a very intentional family. Okay? Say it again, Nikki. Focused. That's a focused family. Man, they're focused. Honors the Lord. Yep. Yeah, Adam. About God's business. Good man. They about God's business, and they're serious about it. Um, that's right. The priority, especially in this culture, if we're not if we're not focused on that, if we don't have a plan, if we're not intentional, then that is the priority. Culture will take us down. The enemy will. One, one or two more. Faithful. Faithful. Yep. So actually, you'd have thought, man, that must be a faithful family, right? That's right. We could probably say faithful and faith-filled, right? For sure. Um, got room for one more? Maybe somebody hasn't spoken yet. Yeah, Jay. Serve, they serve, yep, they serve, yep, and likely they serve with a purpose, right? They know why they serve, exactly right. Um, they got their mission, they're sticking to it, uh, and they're rolling. Uh, I like it. Well, so you might ask, well, what kind of, what kind of mission would a family have? And I'm going gonna, gonna to launch you out towards the end of this session tonight with letting you kind of explore your own mission. But I want to tell you, um, there is a mission you could live on that you could adopt right away, and it's the mission that we work with here at Bellevue. And uh, I think Bellevue's mission is a perfect missional plan for a family. Um, does anybody know Bellevue's mission? Anybody know what it says? Love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. It's on your paper if you want to write it down right there. So our mission, Bellevue's mission, is to love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. You say, well, Tim, that's, that's the church's mission. I mean, that's probably not good for a family. That's probably good for an organization, a church. You know, I'm not sure uh, that's a perfect one for a family. Let me, just, let me just say this to you, just summarize this to you. Uh, and you can write this if you want to on your paper. Bellevue's mission, I think, is a great target for families for a few reasons. It's biblical. Uh, it's memorable. A five-year-old can memorize this, right? And it's adaptable for all ages, it would challenge a seven-year-old who's been a Christian for 50 years, you know, to do all the things that, that the mission talks about, but also simple enough for a, a five-year-old to understand and take some steps 
as much as they can take steps in that area. But I want you to have some confidence in this. I want you to know how biblical this is. I'm going to take you to two sets of verses that just show that this is a biblical mission that you might want to adopt for your family. This is Matthew 22. We'll start in verse 36. Can you read with me off the screen? Here we go. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is commonly referred to as the great commandment, okay? Um, the great commandment. And it's to love God, and that's where we get love God, and it's also where we get love people, right? Because Jesus is saying here, hey, you should love the Lord your God, but also secondly, love your neighbor. That's people. So that's where we got love God and love people from. Was in, these, in your Bible, these would be red words because Jesus spoke these words. Jesus is saying, hey, you're to love God and you're to love people. Well, if Jesus said that's number one and number two, on our mission statement, that's what we're going to make it. We're going to make it number one and number two because Jesus made it number one and number two. That's where we get love God and love people. So it's very biblical if you want to adopt this as your mission for your family. Now let's look at Matthew 28 and we'll start reading there. You ready? Let's read together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Anybody know what this is called? The other one's a great commandment. What's this called sometimes? The Great Commission, the Great Commission. And it says in there, make disciples, okay, that's part of our mission. It doesn't say share Jesus, but evangelism is implied in there. We're to go, make disciples, baptize, teach them. Those are all steps of evangelism. So that's what we got, share Jesus. So I just want you to know that, that, that this is a, a biblical mission that you could adopt as a family. And so on your paper it says next, it says, our mission answers what we do as a church. It answers what we do as a church. If you were to leave here tonight and you would go to a restaurant and you just say you stopped your family, let's say you went over to Pyro's, you're eating at Pyro's, and someone says, hey, uh, where have you been tonight? Out in this rain? You must have had a purpose, a reason to get out in this storm. He said, we've been to church. And you've got to say, well, which church? They might ask, which church do you go to? Well, we go to Bellevue over here, the three big crosses. And they might say, you know, I've seen that church. It's a big church. I wonder... I've driven by there wondering, what do you what do y'all do in there? I see the cars out there, the big church. What do you do in there? Well, if they ask that question, you could just say, hey, we're there to learn how to love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. Because that's what we're about as believers. Um, so that's what you could say, is this is what we're doing. We're, we're in there loving how to, learning how to love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. Here's another answer on your on your paper there. Your mission as leaders of your family, answers what we do as a family. So your mission answers what we do as a family. Isn't that good? So would you develop a, a mission? You're just saying, hey, we're going to develop a mission for the Bryant family, for our family, and this is going to be what we're all about as a family. We're going to be intentional in some direction. We're going to pick it. And knowing this group, it's probably going to be very much about God's business, okay? We're going to pick a mission for our family and head straight towards it. So one suggestion would be in, uh, either develop your own mission prayerfully and seeking the Lord and talk to your family or 
adopt what Bellevue does and say, you know what, that's biblical. It's, it's easy to remember. It's adaptable for all ages. That's going to be our family mission. And then, then you can roll with it. Now, I want to say this. Um, what we want to do as a church is to partner with you and help you. And then it's for us as staff families as well. And there's a lot of ways we resource you. Um, one of the ways we resource is just through uh, events that we have. And so a couple of years ago, we brought in a speaker from Lifeway. And he spoke about the spiritual influences uh, for your children as they grow and what the biggest impact is on their spiritual health. Well, we said a couple weeks ago, the number one thing that they brought was that children regularly read their Bible when growing up is the number one way that kids stay in the faith as they grow older. So if we can get our young kids to read their Bible on their own while they're growing up, it's the number one indicator that they'll stay in the faith once they leave your house. So if you think, man, is, is there a magic bullet? Is there a silver lining? Is there that one thing I'm really hoping for and praying for? Um, one thing I can really push my kids towards or engage my kids in, I would tell you it's them reading their Bible on their own, not, not necessarily daddy reading it to them or mom reading to them, but them on their own and them desiring to read their own Bible, them on your Bible on their own, however that may look. So tonight what I want to do is introduce you to someone who, who knows a lot about helping these kids um, put on the, the right lenses of, uh, of looking at things through a biblical lens or a biblical viewpoint and someone who, who's, who's helped him, his kids, his family, and others say, well, how can I get a, a worldview? How can I defend my faith? And so I want to bring up Kevin Dormer. Uh, Kevin's a friend of mine and respect this man tremendously and ask him if he would to just come and share more with us about uh, worldview and what you've learned. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Kevin Dormer, and I'm really honored to get to speak to you all tonight. Uh, Tim gave me this opportunity, and before we get started, um, let me just say at the outset that uh, in, in sharing about what apologetics is and what a Christian worldview is and why it matters, I hope that you hear from me that this topic is one that has really affected me a lot in my growth as a Christian. It has impacted how my wife and I try to shepherd our kids, and by no means do we have it figured out. I'll tell you that much, uh, but I, I know how it has helped me grow in confidence and how I share about my Christian faith with other people um, because I've been more and more convinced that Christianity is true, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and the impact that has on your life and the impact that it can have on your, your kids' lives. And I don't know what phase of life all you are in. Um, I would love to know that, but in the short amount of time we have, I'm going to go pretty fast through what is a Christian worldview, why does it matter? And, uh, but I do hope that you'll, if you have questions, I'm going to try to leave time for that at the end. So please, please ask those. And if I'm talking too fast, definitely let me know that as well. So this is, this is my family. Um, they're a lot older than that now. I have three teenagers and one 12-year-old. So when I say that I am in it with you guys, I am serious. So we're we are in the midst of it. We're trying to figure things out as well. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's going. We're, we're doing our best, but we're definitely learning a lot as well. Um, I think what we're going to talk about today fits perfectly with what Tim just talked about. Um, from a discipleship standpoint, being on mission, uh, the idea of making disciples, and especially when he was talking about out of Matthew, how we love the Lord our God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, right? God made this connection between your mind and your soul. He gave us the ability to reason and to understand the evidence that's all around us in what we call general revelation, in creation, and so many other things that are meant to point towards Him, we don't have the benefit of being there, right, when 
he was resurrected, you know, being there when he was alive, seeing the evidence of miracles. And we know that was so convincing that the disciples went to their deaths, right? They went to a very painful death because they couldn't, they knew it was true. They couldn't change their minds because they were convinced that it was actually real. Well, we're not, we do have the scriptures, right? We have a special revelation in the Bible, but we have so much other evidence that's available to us and to our young people to show them this is a true story. The Christian story is not just something on a buffet of religions that we kind of like a little bit of this and maybe a little bit of new spirituality. No, it's, it is a true story of the world that we live in. And when we convince them of that, man, it, it, it has impacted me. It will set your kids on fire too because they will know, okay, there's too much evidence for this. This is actually true. So now what? What does that mean for how I live each day, the, the choices that I make, the way I'm going to you know, treat my friendships, the things I'm going to think about when I'm looking for a spouse someday. All those things change because they're convinced that it's actually true. So all that to say, that's kind of the objective. And if you feel like, man, I have not done this with my kids, I'm behind, um, or just the fact that your kids and my kids are free will agents just like we are. So you can do everything right, you can try to equip them, and they may get to a stage in life where they say, no thanks, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to do that. That's your thing, that's not mine. Don't be discouraged by that. Know that you can continue to grow in your own faith as a Christian and continue to impact them and maybe their kids. So it doesn't matter what phase of life your kids are in. Don't feel discouraged if you feel like, man, I haven't been doing this. Um, it can still impact you and continue to impact them. Uh, so just a couple of things to talk about at first. I'm going to play a quick video and you'll see why in just a second. I'm going to turn that up too. Is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go to whichever locker room that they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would you respond to me? Good for you, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. Do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, 
probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point, and you suffer the issue. That's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet five inches, what would you say? All right, so I took that. That's a few minutes of the, the short time that I have. But the reason why I played that is because that is a worldview. That is a worldview of relativism, or specifically uh, relative truth as part of postmodernism. And what, did, what was it that they could not say to him, even though you could see the turmoil inside? Well, they couldn't say you're wrong, because you can't. In relativism, you can't say that you're wrong. You have your truth, and I have my truth, and that's okay. We just leave it at that. Even though you could tell, they're like, ah, I just I want to tell them you're not six foot five, you're not Chinese, but they couldn't, right? That is an example of a worldview, and relativism is actually a really dominant worldview today, and, and chances are there may be some aspects of that that have even seeped into our, our own thinking because it's so common. This guy, uh, Richard Bloom, wrote this book back in 1987 called The Closing of the American Mind. Look what he wrote. There's one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. The student, of course, cannot defend their opinion. It's something with which they have been indoctrinated. He was pretty wise writing that back in that time frame. Here's a quote from Oprah Winfrey that kind of reflects the same kind of thought process. Speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And I italicize your because that's the idea that you speak your truth and I have my truth and, and we're okay with that. The impact that has on trying to teach someone the Christian worldview and why it matters obviously is critical because if truth is whatever you want it to be, well, you don't even need to defend the Christian worldview because somebody might say, well, that's great. Yeah, you have your Christian worldview and I have my view and we don't even need to talk about it. So the idea of truth is, is foundational that we have to build other things on top of that. And so when that kind of leg sweeps out the ideas and the thinking behind why Christianity is true, we kind of have to start over at ground zero. So that, that worldview is really impactful. So you have to think about in the video, when did those students start to begin forming that worldview? 
that they had there in college uh, at a really high price tag, which is really disturbing to think about. But also, where, where, where did the lack of ideas not occur to say, no, I know that's not true. I, I know that there is a reality here that's not just based on what you or I believe. When should that have started? And I'll give you some examples to that. First of all, we've got to ask, how are we doing as, as Christian adults? So this is among people that are professing Christians. Uh, the percentage of people that would say that there's some karma aspect to things that happen to you is about a third. So Christians who would claim to have a biblical worldview, about 33%. Premarital sex is okay, and I don't mean that it, they acknowledge that it happens, but that there's no problem with that at all, is about half. Uh, people are not born into sin, which we know is contradictory to some very basic tenets of what Christianity teaches, 44%. And people are basically good, 69%. That one's really common because if you ever see um, Kirk Cameron or some of the other people that do street witnessing and you ask people, you know, are you basically good? What do most people say? Yeah, I'm pretty good because what are they doing? Well, compared to so-and-so, like I'm pretty good, you know, and that's, that's what people are thinking. But we know the Christian worldview is very unique in this. It says, we are not good. We are, we are sinful. And anybody that has little kids knows, yeah, okay, I see it right there. You don't have to teach them to be selfish or steal or whatever. But these are Christians with a biblical worldview that are making these claims. What about young people, right? Surely that would be a different story. So these are 34 students uh, in Rick Jones's apologetics class on Sunday nights, which is awesome. These are high schoolers that are taking two hours out of their Sunday evening with a school day the next morning to go learn about apologetics and Christian worldview. So that's awesome. That's amazing. So, but you got to remember, like, what, what cross-section of students are going to this group than maybe your normal Wednesday night group, okay? People that had, they answered this survey, this worldview stir- survey, and 18 uh, percent had some answers that didn't reflect the Christian worldview, but new spirituality. 24 percent had postmodern views. Yeah, like New Age uh, beliefs. Yeah, that's kind of the... We called it New Age when we were Yeah. Which is kind of, it's similar to Hinduism, and there's, there's Buddhism aspects of that. That's a whole other thing that I definitely don't have time for. But uh, that's, that, some of their answers reflected that. Secular views, 9%. 12% reflected an Islamic worldview. Hey, no Marxist views. So we got that going for us, right? That's good. 56% answered all the questions according to a biblical worldview. So these are high school students going to an apologetics class on a Sunday night, and you still had a little bit more than half that had a fully answered all the questions in accordance with what we would say is, is accurate per the Christian worldview. But surely the adults would be much better, right? Right, is that what you're thinking? I'm glad you asked. So this is from Wednesday night from Rick Jones's class that's doing the worldview studies. Uh, 48 adults responded to this one, and you can see the percentages there. 28% new spirituality, not as much on the postmodern views, which is good. Um, yeah, 21% on Islamic views, 8% secularist, a couple of Marxist answers in there. Um, so now we had a little bit better, but 60% answered all the questions according to a biblical worldview. These are adults. Now, is this an indictment on Bellevue? Bellevue teaches biblical, like the, the lessons are Bible-based. They're not entertainment. Anybody that listens to Pastor Steve on Sunday mornings for sure knows that. Corey, I mean, the, the next-gen team, it's not from a lack of teaching what the Bible says, Right? But there are aspects of the Christian worldview that are getting smuggled in through culture that we're just not recognizing, whether it's adults or young people. And this is why that is so important. So what is a worldview? Um, it's basically the, it's the basis for your values. It's the lens that you see everything through. 
and your values are the basis of your behavior. So your view of reality ultimately ends up in your decisions. It's not just something ethereal that you think about. That, that determines how you actually live. So here's some examples of that. The Christian worldview says humans are image bearers, right? Human life is valuable, therefore we don't murder. That, that makes sense. That's pretty simple. When you see the opposite of that, humans are evolved primates. Um, Macroevolution is what's caused us to get here. There is no ultimate moral code. So shouldn't we pick out who should be the best people to survive? That's called eugenics. We've seen that play out multiple times in history, and you end up with genocide. So that's another way that a worldview kind of plays out. Anybody know who this is? This is Richard Dawkins. He's probably one of the most famous atheists. He's really bright. He's also British, so he sounds that much smarter with his accent. He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, so materialism, this is atheism, naturalism, there is no God, Blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. You could put that on a coffee cup and see if you could you know, sell it. He's, uh, he's very honest, right? This is the logical outworking of an atheistic worldview. There's no purpose. You can't say... Where's the justice in this? What do you mean justice? There's no justice. There's just stuff. There's matter. There's molecules. There's no right or wrong. So how does that play out? The growing number of religious nuns, like not the ones in the habit, um, but N-O-N-E-S, are growing at an alarming rate, especially here. This is from a survey. You may have heard of these results. It just came out pretty recently from 2021 uh, from the CDC. 30% of high school girls surveyed they had seriously considered attempting suicide. 57% of, and 29% of girls and boys, respectively, reported persistent feelings of sadness or, hope, sorry, or hopelessness. And of the LGBTQ teens, ongoing and extreme distress, 22% had an actual suicide attempt in the past year. When you see that worldview play itself out, there is no meaning, there is no purpose. If you don't find joy or hope, which aside from God, which gives us purpose and hope, this is what you would see would make sense as a logical outcome. So we kind of see what happens when a worldview uh, plays itself out. Uh, I'm going to skip past this just for time, but a worldview in general, all worldviews, whether you're atheistic or not, and sometimes Christians kind of get put on the spot like, well, you're, you're religious, and so I'm going to discount what you believe. A religion is just a worldview. Atheism is a worldview. All of them have to answer key questions about everything to include the origin. What is the ultimate reality? Is there a God or not? What is the universe and how did it get here? Um, that first question, Mortimer Adler says, more consequences for thought and action follow the affirmation or denial of God than from answering any other basic question. In other words, you start with that. If there is no God, that has so many implications on all the other questions, right? And that's pretty self-explanatory. We also have to answer, who are we? What's, what's wrong with this? Are we the way that we're supposed to be? Are we the result of an accident? Um, are we designed with a purpose or not? Uh, that worldview has to answer questions of morality. How do we know that there is such a thing as right and wrong? If a Dawkins is correct, there's no such thing. You can use those words, but you're borrowing moral terms to describe that they're meaningless. There's no right and wrong. They're just what is. You could say you don't like it, but there's no reason to say that something is right or wrong. And then lastly, uh, purpose. So what happens at the end? What happens after you die? Uh, what is the purpose of humanity while we're here? Is it just to get stuff 
and enjoy life, and then, then you're dead, and that's it. That's the atheistic worldview. Uh, the Christian worldview obviously says we have a purpose, and we know what it's for. It's to know God and make him known. That is our, our ultimate purpose in life. So that's kind of what a worldview is, and it should be pretty apparent why that's important. And understanding the Christian worldview, how it answers all those questions, and I encourage you to ask your own kids this question. If they're old enough to be able to kind of formulate a response, ask them, if they're believers, why are you a Christian? Why do you, why do you believe in Christianity? Because what I hope for my kids is to someday them, you know, them be able to explain that and say, I believe it's actually true. Not, well, you taught it to me. I grew up this way. We talk about it a lot at Bellevue or in the South, like whatever it is. You want them to understand that it is worth believing in because the evidence is there. And we believe it's actually true. And if somebody were to ask you, if somebody could show you conclusive evidence, say, for example, like produce Jesus' body or something that was outright, which Paul talked about, right? If the resurrection didn't happen, Christianity is done. If somebody could show you evidence that Christianity was false, would you change your minds? Our answer should be yes, because unless we're believing in something that is just because we hope it to be so, but the evidence contradicts it, we should, just like if you were to ask an atheist, hey, if Christianity is actually true, would you become a Christian? If they say no, what does that really tell you? Is that a this problem? No, it's a heart. It's a will problem. And that happens sometimes with some of these apologists, which I won't talk about uh, for today. But So that's, that's the goal, is we want our kids and us to be able to say, I believe this is true because the evidence shows it to be so. Um, so I'm going to talk about apologetics. Let me tell you one quick story. There's a great uh, apologist I like to listen to, and I'll explain what that means in a second, but his name's Frank Turek. And he talked about um, a friend of his who's a really tough Marine dad, who called him one day and said, Frank, I need your help. I just got a phone call from my daughter. Uh, she just went to UNC, North Carolina, um, uh, in Chapel Hill, and she said, Dad, you know, I've been learning a lot from my professors, and I just don't, I don't believe in this Christianity thing anymore. I'm kind of done with it. And he says, I, I raised her, and we went to church. I tried to teach her everything about Christianity, and... Now she just calls me after being at school for a couple months and says, I'm kind of done with this. And he's, he's going to drive out there and talk with her and try to understand, like, what happened. And he asks Frank, what do I do? And he asks him, well, uh, do you have any experience with, you know, apologetic-type teaching, like how to challenge her mind and, and remember that connection between the mind and the heart that we talked about? And he said, well, I've always wanted to, but I've just never had the time to do it. And there's a reason why... Sometimes when uh, parents in, in part of our Bellevue family, when they have kids that are coming to them with really hard questions, trying to kind of stray away from Christianity, often they say, hey, you need to go talk to Rick Jones. Rick Jones works in the bookstore. He's an awesome teacher. He is, he's really smart on apologetics. But that should tell us something, that why is it that apologetics can answer some of those hard questions that our young people are asking? Shouldn't that tell us, man, as parents, Maybe we should get equipped with some of that, too, because the red phone that goes back there to Rick Jones may not always be there, and in those moments where our kids are talking to us, it's not a bad idea to say, well, you know what? I don't know the answer. Let's go see if we can find it out. That's way better than making something up or just saying, hey, you just need to have faith, right? Because they're going to file that away. Mom and Dad didn't know the answer. You know, They may not make a big deal about it at that point. But we can be equipped with that same uh, capability 
And that's what we're going to talk about. So what is apologetics? Everybody loves to learn Greek, right, on a Wednesday night. But it comes from the word uh, apologia. It means being able to give positive reasons for why Christianity is true and also being able to respond to negative objections uh, that people have against the Christian worldview. Scripture commands it, right? We could just stop there. 1 Peter 3.15, in, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And sometimes we miss that last part a little bit. But being able to make a defense, that's, that's word that it, the word that it's talking about. Jude 3 says the same thing. Talks about appealing and contending for the faith. This is like a lawyer in the courtroom who's arguing, this is why the Christian story is true. That's what we're charged with. And then here we talk about using, you know, not physical weapons, but being able to destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against knowledge of God. We're commanded about nine different times, just in the New Testament, to be able to do this as Christians. And it fits perfectly in with the discipleship piece that you guys were talking about. Sometimes people think apologetics is... This is where you argue with people and yell at them. That's not it at all. It's actually demolishing those bad arguments that people have raised up against Christianity. Because just take for one example, if somebody believes, hey, I don't need to deal with your God because I know that macroevolution explains how I got here, or an infinite universe answers that problem for me because over time we've, been, we've had all this time to evolve and get it right, and here we are. Those are bricks in a wall Yes, the Holy Spirit ultimately changes our hearts, but our minds, if we put those bricks there to say, nah, you can have your God and your miracles and things, but I have science, right? You know, I'm more of a science person, and I've had friends say that. If we can help remove those things, doesn't that help do what we call pre-evangelism, kind of removing some of those obstacles by removing those barriers in people's minds that they've set up to say, hey, I don't need that. So it's really important to help be able to break down some of those arguments. So Scripture commands it. The church needs it. We've kind of shown some examples in those statistics. The culture certainly demands it. Um, real quick, I know I've been kind of given some, some downer statistics, but between 50 to 70% of young people that grow up in the church, like Bible-believing churches, I don't mean like Mormons or other, you know, other, denom other things that are not Christianity, after high school, they're done. They walk away from Christianity, and a lot of them don't come back. 50 to 70%. Now, I would love to tell you that Bellevue, we know for sure that our students don't fall into that category, but we don't know that. I don't have evidence to tell you that that's the case. And the reason why, and I'll tell you about this book more in a little bit, they actually surveyed a lot of these kids that left and, and didn't come back. Here's what some of their answers were. Some stuff is too far-fetched for me to believe. Too many questions that can't be answered. I'm a scientist now, and I don't believe in miracles. That sounds familiar. I learned about evolution when I went away to college. There's a lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. These all fall into a category of unanswered intellectual skepticism. Skepticism, that's self-explanatory. Unanswered, they either didn't ask the questions because they didn't feel comfortable asking them, or they did, and they got some sort of an answer like, well, that was either untrue or made up or just told, hey, you just need to have faith. You, know, you don't need to have an answer to that. Well, there's a lot of professors, as Rick will tell you, when people come back after just starting college, they're professors whose primary goal is to get people to drop their belief in God and discount it completely. They're coming after our young people, and so we've got to be able to equip them. That, that intellectual skepticism, it's not like Christianity doesn't have the answers. We have answers that we can equip them with if we, if we choose to do it. Okay, i got to go faster. Um, if we can answer these four questions in the affirmative, 
then we can demonstrate that the Christian story is true. Does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament uh, true? The first example, the first question up there is obviously important based on the video that we watch, right? If truth is getting undermined, then all the rest of them are kind of irrelevant. And that, from that standpoint, doesn't matter if Christianity is true or any other religion is true because truth is just kind of whatever you want it to be. So that's why that is so important uh, to include all the other answers, like where do we come from? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Remember Jesus said this when he was talking to Pilate, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come out of the world, to bear witness to the truth, right? A lot of people, if you ask them, like, why did Jesus say he came? He came to bear witness to the truth. Um, same thing in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He doesn't say I'm a way or a truth. He says, I am it. I am the truth. And if we believe that, then that, that closes the doors on kind of getting to pick and choose, like, oh, I like a little bit of this religion and this religion. Christianity doesn't leave that option to us, but that's very common now where people just kind of pick and choose a little bit of what they want. So you're thinking, all right, that's a lot of bad news, Kevin. Like, what, why did you, you know, kind of give us a downer? Well, here's the good news. Um, man, one, don't freak out. There's a great story of Sean McDowell, who's Josh McDowell's son. If you haven't heard of Josh McDowell, he's written tons of books, an incredible pastor. And his son, Josh, Sean, Josh McDowell's son, Sean, came to him in high school, uh, he was either high school or college, and said, Dad, I'm, just, I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. Josh McDowell's son said that to him. He didn't freak out. He said, okay, I'm, I appreciate you telling me that. Just promise me that you will pursue whatever is true just as aggressively, and, and wherever that leads you, follow that, okay? Pursue the truth. Don't just pick and choose what you want based off of culture or anything else. And he had a good relationship with his son, which was a big part of that. And Sean McDowell is now a, an amazing apologist, works with young people. So don't stress out with the bad news. Um, start early, even when your kids are young. Lead by example, whether it's with reading your Bible, memorizing scripture, they're watching us, right? And so if, they, if we're trying to tell them, hey, this is true, this should change your life, and they don't see us following that same model, we're really telling them a different message, right? Like, you should follow this, but I'm going to do something different. This is a big one, making room for questions. I think you hit on this a little bit, Tim. We've got to start asking them questions early if they don't ask them of us. We've got to make time in our schedules for them to be able to ask those hard questions. And when they do, we don't want to flip out like, oh, I can't believe you're asking that at this age. And if you don't know an answer, have the confidence that we can find good answers for that. Uh, and we'll talk about some resources for that. Use the time available to you wisely. Man, our schedules are packed, right? And I'm going to say something. Please don't mishear this. Um, don't say Kevin Dormer said sports are bad. I'm not saying that. But if you were or my child becomes an NCAA Division I athlete but wants nothing to do with Christianity, would we put that in the right priority? No, obviously none of us would say, yeah, that's, that's okay with me. But do our actions bear that out? Even though we would never verbalize that, what does our time priority say about, about where those things fall? Um, there's so many resources now, and I'm going to talk to you about some of those. I talked about setting an example already. And if, man, family meals, there's so much evidence to show that that is so critical, that if we can sit down with our kids at least once a day and just have that time with them, even with all those other time constraints, I know it's hard, and everybody's family situation is different. So don't, don't hear that I'm just being callous about that at all. But if possible, try to make that happen with our kids. 
Okay, so now what do we do for uh, worldview training? How do we pursue that? There's a couple links on here, and I'll, I'll have these afterwards if you guys are interested. Uh, Impact 360 is one, Summit Ministries. These are basically worldview camps, which sounds kind of lame, like why would I want to go to a worldview camp? But it's actually, they're amazing. And they help kids just do what, what we talked about, being equipped to be able to go into the world and be confident in what they believe in. And they're, they're a lot of fun as well. There's one called the uh, Student Apologetics Conference that I'll talk more about in a second. Um, that's not a camp, but it's basically just a one weekend event. And um, within Bellevue, I'm not saying at all to go and complain like, hey, why aren't we doing this? Find ways to help incorporate this, whether it's into your life group, obviously into your own family. If there's other things that you want to help bring to different parts of what Bellevue is teaching. Find ways to help uh, encourage that and not from a sense of complaining. This reality uh, conference, this is good news because these are young people that are going to these conferences. They're sold out. There's no free food. It's not a rock concert. This is young people wanting to learn more about how to be equipped in their walk with Christ and to be confident in that. Um, Minneapolis in November had almost 3,800 young people, and they're, they're coming in from all over. This isn't just like local. Uh, so that should be encouraging. They want it. How old? Like what age? Middle, I'm sorry, yeah, middle school and high school is kind of what it's geared toward. And they don't water it down. Um, it, is, it is challenging stuff so that even the adults that go, to include me, I, I thought this is amazing. And if you want to look at what some of the topics were that they talked about for this year, uh, I have this up here, and it talks about the breakout sessions and everything else. But it's phenomenal. It's not very expensive. Obviously, you got to drive to get to one of those. But the one in Augusta is still coming up, and that's not too far. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, people bring youth groups. There's tons of families that go to it. It's really, really well done. A couple books. I get no royalties from the bookstore, but a few books that if I could say, I would recommend reading these to uh, develop your own Christian understanding of apologetics so that then the outflow of that to your kids becomes more natural. Uh, this one is called Tactics by Greg Kokel. If you will read this and apply it, I promise you it will change the way you interact with people as a Christian. It will give you a, a different level of confidence. It all has to do with asking questions, which turns out Jesus was really good at doing that. Uh, Francis Schaeffer talks a lot about asking questions and the importance of listening um, as you're evangelizing and just talking to other people about Christian worldview things. This one I read from a little bit, so the next generation will know, is by Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace, who is a cold case uh, homicide detective and became a Christian really through investigating the New Testament and the authors. Um, these are excellent. John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel, A Practical Guide to Culture, and there's also a student's one. I haven't read the student's guide, but the, um, the other one is great. It's very easily applied to things going on in culture right now. Um, the one on the left is a challenging read, but it is outstanding. Uh, Frank Turek is that apologist I talked about, and then Norm Geisler passed away, but uh, this book is great. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. He actually gives talks by the same name, brings in lots of atheists that come to his, the college events, uh, and it's excellent. And Elisa Childers, free plug for the ladies for this event coming up on 1 April. She's speaking here at Bellevue. Um, and then here's some resources. There's a lot on here. Many of those have podcasts to go with them. So when you think about your drive time with your kids, when you're working in the yard, um, it is hard to set, side, set aside time. I don't do very well at sitting down and just reading books. I need to do better at that, but I do listen to audiobooks and podcasts, and those have been so helpful to us, I think, in, in dealing with some of these worldview issues. Uh, and I'll have all these afterwards if you guys don't, don't get them. 
Um, this is the STRU, that Standard Reason University. If you go on there, there's all these different short classes that you can take on evaluating worldviews for free. They're free. They have little quizzes that go with them, and they're really well done. They're awesome. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I should have thought of that. That's a great idea. Yep. I'm so, I know, and I'm sorry I'm going so fast. I don't want to uh, short the rest of your time. Right Now Media, through the Bellevue subscription, man, there is so much great stuff on there. Those quick answers with Sean McDowell are like a quick two to three minute video that you can watch with your kids or with your life group and then talk about it, just about every topic you can think of. Frank Turek, tactics, I mean, they're, they're all on there. Uh, so that's an excellent way to go. All right, I know that was a lot, and I apologize for talking so fast and trying to, to cram so much in there. But I want you to, hopefully the takeaway is, worldview is important. Christianity is not just a, you know, an idea of things that we kind of like. If we believe it's actually true, it changes us when you're convinced of that, and it is the same thing with our kids. And I hope that it's been encouraging to think about that and know that there's so many resources available to us. Um, so I've already talked for too long. Any questions for me? Yes. Actually, I just wanted to add something else. <laughs> I'm in shock. Um, so I do want to just throw in, like, we obviously have no kids who are graduated, so they haven't had right. a chance to become part of that 50 to 70 that leaves. So just hear that humble. Yes. much. It was just like, go to church, learn what you can, and we didn't talk about things, and I didn't know why, and I, it just, I, all of my siblings have ended up differently, and the Lord's grace allowed me to press in and try to find out on all those things, and that's the only reason why I'm still in the church, and so, can I just please beg of you, like, turn off the iPads in the car, if that is the only time you don't have them on a screen. Just make use of that. Dinner. Yeah. Like, do not have a TV on and use that time to talk to your kids. And you know what? Like, ask them questions. We Or if you're going to have something on in the car, we will listen to some of those podcasts, and they talk about tough things. And we have all ages, and we just say, okay, pause. What do you think about that? Or do you guys know what that means? Or our kids will say, mom, wait, hold on. What, what's homosexuality or what's abortion or whatever? <coughs> You can talk about those and we've, things. We had talked about those things beforehand, before yeah, we introduced it to the podcast. Things, then you can do it yeah. on a little level. Like, hey, some people think you can kill babies if you think you don't want to be a parent. Like, put it in small words, and kids can hear about hard things, and it's not going to scar them for life. It's actually going to make them more compassionate the more you talk about things like that with them. And, I mean, we lived in Vegas before we moved here, and so our kids were like, what does live nude mean? And I'm like, oh, wait, that's live nude. But, like, let's talk about why do you think girls think it's a good idea to have a nearly nothing on on a billboard? Well, it's because they're broken, and they think this is fulfilling, or they're making money, and they need money. You know, there's, there's lots of reasons. And so when you can talk about those things at a younger age, and it becomes a compassionate issue and a, an easy to talk about thing, then your kids will start thinking, I can talk to my parents about anything because they told me what people do when they're, you know, living in Vegas or whatever that is. It just changes everything because I did not feel like I could talk to my parents about anything. And um, I'm just seeing the benefits of doing that at an earlier age with our kids. They now 
don't really worry too much. I mean, there's still things that they hold back from us. So that's where we say, have you heard about this in the news with transgender stuff? Like, let's talk about that. Or, so that is, yeah, just yeah. turn off those things that are just like dumbing them down and wasting their lives and their brain cells. It's hard. Talk yeah. to them. It's talk exhausting, to them. but honestly, we're almost at the end with one, and it happens fast. Like, they're gone. Okay. And Thanks. you just got to use that time. So I want to take you back to the video he showed a minute ago. When you watch the video of the guy interviewing the college kids, how, how did that match up with this? Talk to me just for a second. How, how did you've got younger kids? Those are those kids are five, ten years older than yours. How did what you saw in the video match up with this? Or how does it, how does it, what, what's it compel you to do based off this, off what you saw in the video? It makes it aimless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they seem aimless, whatever, whatever worldview blew in whatever direction. This is different than that. that. This is us as parents going, we've got an opportunity when our kids are in our home to do something different and to really focus them and be intentional where we're taking them. Um, I'm so glad that you, thank you for what you've shown and given us tonight. Thank you. all help me thank Kevin tonight. So I want to go back. Interesting, he and I are on the same track here. There's a great book that I like called Essential Church. And it goes back to the his tastic, tac, statistic about 57% of the kids leave the church. And I want you to read this with me. Can we read this out loud together? Let's read this. Young adults are more likely to leave the church between the ages of 18 and 22 if they do not see the church as essential to their lives. So one study that this author did said, look, we, we've talked to thousands of these kids who've left the church and essentially boiled it down to they didn't see church as essential. So his thesis was, his solution was, make students a valued part of ministry by giving them opportunities to serve in your church. And that's what he was, this book was written to church leaders to say you've got to involve kids and students, give them opportunities to serve, to grow, to be a part of what's going on in the church. And I just want to share with you just a few ideas that Bellevue has, just so you'll know what your kids get involved in here, just so they feel like that they're a a valued part of this church and valued when, when you know when they graduate they get on other churches this just shows I mean really from children's life groups ages 12 to 16 can serve recreation age 16 can be a coach if you have a 16 year old they can coach other kids in recreational sports media takes middle school and up orchestra can play in the adult orchestra middle school and up worship can play middle in the worship middle school worship band um, in the middle on Wednesday nights door greeters uh, first grading up with a parent, a junior in high school, who do by themselves. Yeah, Megan. Right. What's the singing Christmas tree? Yeah, fourth grading up. Fourth grading up. They sure can. That's right. And na a national mission trip, 10-year-old up with their parent. So if you wanted to go to a mission trip up north or out west in Indian Reservation, and internationally, 12-year-olds. How many of you have 12-year-olds in your home? 12-year-olds? Um, the 12-year-old can go with you international, any international mission trip. So just think about ways to involve your child um, talking about being missional, there's ways to be missional and helping them serve the Lord in that way. Uh, when I think about missional, I, I want to bring up another friend of mine um, and let him share with you also. There's something powerful about 
living on mission and realizing if I can set a course for my family, if I can say, here's what we're about, here's what we're doing, and not let it kind of go to the wayside, but really keep a tight focus, there's a lot of benefits to it. And um, I want you to hear from Zach Cook. Zach's a friend of mine, and uh, he gets to go do a really cool job every day. And I want to share what he's learned about his job and how it relates to us as parents and setting a mission uh, for our kids. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys tonight. And so um, <clears throat> I don't have a bunch of slides like Kevin did, but I'll be brief. Um, I have a few that I'd like to share with you guys. But uh, again, my name is Zach Cook. Um, my wife is Emily. She's not with me tonight. Our kids are home. One of our kids is homesick tonight. Um, we have three children. Um, we've been at Bellevue now for just about 25 years. And um, I actually teach an eighth grade boys life group. And so I've had the unique opportunity to engage a lot of the students in the uh, middle school ministry with these very same questions. And Kevin has actually come and had the opportunity to teach apologetics to the boys that are in my class. Something unique about what I've been able to do is I've actually had these same group of boys since they were in fourth and fifth grade ministry here. So I've gotten to grow, see them grow physically, spiritually, um, and emotionally from fourth grade until now they're in the eighth grade. And so it's been a real blessing for me to see how the Lord has worked in and through uh, several of their lives and how he's still continuing to work through them and, uh, and train them up into the, uh, the young men that he has for them. Um, what I get to do during the daytime is I am a civil engineer and I work for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers here in Memphis. And um, the Corps of Engineers has a big mission. Uh, one of our primary missions is navigation on the Mississippi River. And so if you guys are Memphians and you've been around very long, we have a pretty big river uh, right outside of our door here, or outside of our window, called the Mississippi River. Um, and so my job is I'm a project manager, and I manage the Corps of Engineers' navigation and flood risk mission on the Mississippi River. Um, and so just a quick little few fast facts about the Mississippi River. For those of you that didn't know, it's the world's third longest river. It's about 2,000 or 20, a little over 2,000 miles long. It starts in Minnesota, goes all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it's a pretty powerful force. Um, just a little tidbit, how many of you guys have ever been to New Orleans, Louisiana, been to the Superdome? You know how big the Superdome is. And so the Mississippi River at a normal, like, flow or a normal river stage. So if you go to the Mississippi River, if you go to downtown Memphis today and you look at the I-40 bridge and you watch the river go by, the amount or volume of water that goes by that bridge in, um, in like a minute period is enough to fill up the Superdome 30 times in a minute. Um, so that's a lot of water, right? And so you can imagine how powerful that water is. Um, and when the river gets higher, if we don't have a plan of protection in place, the river pretty much goes wherever it wants to go. And despite our best efforts, a lot of times, if you guys have family members or you have lived near the river, the river still does what it wants to do. And it can be very damaging and, and cause a, a lot of problems. And so. I have a couple of pictures here that I wanted to share with you guys. 
This is a picture um, of a riverbank, of the riverbank along the Mississippi River. And it's kind of interesting we're in this room, but this is a picture of downtown Memphis here with Tom Lee Park and the Memphis Riverfront. You can see um, Tom Lee Park there, which if you've been downtown, Tom Lee Park looks a lot different now. Uh, the city of Memphis is improving the park and trying to make it more friendly for people to get out and see the river. Um, and they're planning on finishing that construction this coming summer. But the goal is to get more families, more folks out to the river to view it, to enjoy it. Um, they're going to have some like recreational activities out there for kids, for young families to take their kids to play and to learn about the river, to learn about the history of the river. Um, so I think it's going to be a neat place for families. I know Tim, one of our uh, like family activities I think that y'all are still talking about is take your kids down to the river walk across the bridge now if you've been down to like the I-55 bridge they have the uh, big river crossing and you can cross over the river and uh, and just you know view the beautiful thing that the, that God has given us here in America um, but uh, so that's a picture of the river but if we do not if and, and our goal our mission at the Corps of Engineers is we try to we don't control the river we just try to maintain something that's reliable that's strong, that uh, when the river does decide to get up and try to go a little, uh, you know, awry, we'll uh, hopefully keep it where it needs to go. Uh, we have levee systems, right? So outside the river where the river gets up and floods, there's levee systems. The Corps of Engineers is responsible for uh, protecting those levees, keeping them stable, keeping them safe. And so kind of gearing all that back to a family, right? I mean, we've been sharing all of these things about what it takes to have a strong family, to have a strong biblical foundation in your home. And when the foundations are not strong, things like this happen. So this is a spot just south of downtown Memphis, and this was after the 2011 flood. So for many of you that have lived here for a long time, in 2011 on the Mississippi River, we had the biggest, worst flood event that we've ever had in the history of the Mississippi River in this area. Um, so the amount of water that was coming by then would have filled the Superdome up probably hundreds of times in a minute. But um, this is a spot where we had a weak section, right? We had a weak section along the riverbank and the river found the path of least resistance and it created a major failure here of the bank and a major scour hole. And so my job as a project manager and our job as a Corps of Engineers is we had to go back and fix this. Um, I should have put a picture of what we did afterwards, but basically we had to come back in here and fix that alignment there along the bank and then do some work behind the bank. And uh, we spent a lot of money here, um, millions and millions of dollars fixing this. This is pretty impressive here. This is a helicopter video, a helicopter picture that was taken up near Tiptonville, Tennessee. Has anyone ever been up to Realfoot Lake? Kind of familiar with Realfoot Lake area? So this is an area where the river, there was a levee, a levee working through here. Um, it's a levee kind of, I can't go too far, but you can see the levee on the far left. See that green line there? That's the levee. That's the federal levee. And coming off of that levee was a, uh, a another levee that kind of helped protect that main levee. The river came over the top bank of the river and that levee, that small little levee, which was not a federal levee, it failed that levee, caused the levee to breach. 
and it head cut and created that scour hole all the way across what you see there. You see in the distance there, the river kind of makes a little bend and meanders. That's the backside. The river was, trying to, was normally trying to go this way and around to that far side, but instead it tried to cut straight across. It basically would have cut off about nine miles of river channel that we had been maintaining for the big tow boats that bring food, commodities, all of those things. And um, we had to go back in and fix that. And so that cost over 30 million of your taxpayer dollars to repair. But had we not fixed that, the main channel would have been rendered useless and then barge traffic would have stopped. And you guys probably remember this fall, past fall, we had a record low water and barges were almost stopped. And so they couldn't get out. You know, the U.S. is the world's, one of the world's uh, largest exporters of grain, coal, all kinds of commodities and products. 60% uh, of the world's grain comes from the United States through the Mississippi River and through South Louisiana and to ports all around the world. And so it's important that we, uh, that we maintain the channel. This is another area uh, at President's Island here in Memphis. You guys have heard of President's Island. The river tried to do the very same thing here. And so, again, the point in all of this is the river's powerful and we have a mission to try to maintain that navigation channel. And it's our job as parents to be on mission and to understand that we have a role to play in making sure our families are strong um, and have that biblical worldview so that things don't get out of sorts. And the ultimate goal is that the river looks like this, right? So that um, it flows the way it's supposed to and it's a beautiful scene. And, um, and so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, as we've all talked about, I think it's our goal to try to equip our children, prepare them to be able to stand firm for, for Christ whenever they're challenged in their faith. And so um, that's my prayer is that we would all um, spend time on our knees and seek the Lord each day so that we're prepared to, uh, to help train them up and raise them to love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. So, So he said something about water, and he said, water takes the path of least resistance. And so for us as parents to remember that, to think we've got kids that are around other kids on school buses, in locker rooms, uh, on campuses, and they also might take a path that we desire they don't take. And so for us as parents, we have the beautiful privilege uh, with God's help of creating these boundaries, this mission, this direction to raise our kids in. So love that tie-in. Thank you so much. Let me, let me quickly land the plane. I just want to fill in three more blanks with you if I could. I'm going to go back to an old friend of mine uh, on a book called Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family. Just three quickly, just some steps that we could take in, in, in helping you take some steps on developing this mission. First, it might be fun for you to really just think through what makes my family unique. There's families in here that have one child, six children, some have all the same gender, all type of things happening. So your family is unique. There's something unique about the way God's put your family together. And so what makes family unique? Just some questions to ask. What makes us different from other families? What's true of us? You know, where do we need to grow? Um, where are we our best? What would stretch us? So you're thinking about what mission 
do we want to take, or what aspect of our, the Bellevue's mission do we want to focus on? Or what's unique about us that might lend us to one aspect of Bellevue's mission we want to really focus on, or creating our own mission? The second question is this, what is our top priority, our rally cry right now, okay? So to kind of break this down into time barriers, what part of our mission is most important over this school semester or this summer? How can I break down a really important part of the mission I want to lead our family towards over the summer? That makes it time, uh, puts a time stamp on it. It's okay for 90 days or for this semester, we're going to focus on this as part of our one aspect of our mission. Um, so it might be that you say, this summer we want to really do better at loving people or focus on loving people. So we're going to have our neighbors over. We're going to to serve those who serve us, like mail carriers or folks who work the trash for us, people who, who come to our home. Um, we're going to help the less fortunate. Just a real quick plug, Memphis Union Mission, every Friday night is family night. You can go there and as a family, no matter what age kids you've got, you can serve over 200 homeless men a warm meal. You carry trays to them, you interact with them, it's fantastic. Um, just a quick plug on that, that's Friday nights or family nights. And the third question is how we talk about and use the answers to number one and number two. How, what are we going to do with this, essentially? How, what are we going to do about us being unique and about you know, us wanting to really do something with this mission? And I suggest you write out your mission, you post it on the refrigerator, uh, let your kids write it out, let them write it in crayon and post it. That's better than you doing a PowerPoint. If they write it out, that's fantastic. Discuss as a family, what are we, what's our mission going to be? How are we going to live it out this summer or this, this spring? Ask the Lord to help you and celebrate any progress that you make, any progress that's made. So just a few quick starters. We can talk more about it, just a few starters of how to, how to jump into and kind of get a mission going. I'll just close with this. Um, living on mission provides your family with clarity of purpose. It gives you a battle plan. It's okay, here's what we want to do. Here's the mission we want to take on. And your mission might be, hey, I just want to, I want to love my kids and develop a relationship where they love me back. And that's, the, that's our right now focus. Just, man, just spend time with them, load on them, let them know I love them and they love me. Um, we talked about that last week, spending time with our kids, okay? So please know that we're in different places. Our families are unique here. And a good starting point is anywhere that the Lord's leading you going forward. Well, thanks so much. We're out of time. I want to tell you, thank you for being here tonight. Next week, I'm going to just show you a little peek under the tent. Next week is having a plan for discipline. What does the Bible say about how to discipline our kids? Is it okay to spank? Um, what, what is their time out? Do I count to three? How does this work? So we're talking about next week. We'll have a discussion. We pray for us. We'll take off. Father, thank you for each person who's here. I want to thank you for Kevin Dormer, for Zach Cook. Uh, for every parent. I pray that you'd go with us tonight. You want to help us develop a mission that aligns with you. God, help us to, we're to keep those riverbanks of, of how we lead our kids strong so that, that they'll go in the same aligned direction that we're wanting them to go in, which is a biblical direction that pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.